Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, I'm here before the episode starts to bring you learning moments with Amy. Now that I've been podcasting and advocating for a few years, my understanding of endometriosis, as well as the issues that our community faces, well, they've really evolved and progressed over the years. So I've been going through our earliest episodes because I want to make sure that these earliest published episodes have accurate information in them. So it's been two years since we aired this episode, and I just wanted to come on here to stress how life-changing it can be to get on the hormone replacement therapy that you need during perimenopause or menopause. And this can be surgical or natural menopause. You'll hear me say in this episode that I think that I'm likely in perimenopause, but at the time of recording, I still hadn't deeply understood how many of my weird symptoms were from perimenopause and how much Hormone replacement therapy would help me. About nine months after I lost my left ovary, my body just completely fell apart. And I got the onset of mass activation syndrome, or at least a kind of dysautonomia with a mast cell component. And while there's multiple factors that I addressed and that I am addressing to help that, it's only recently that I've realized that of my huge list of symptoms, Like 90% of them overlap with perimenopause symptoms. A lot of us know the symptoms like hot flashes or irregular periods. So we can be like, okay, well, you know, that seems hormonal. But perimenopause or menopause symptoms can also include sleep problems like insomnia or waking during the night. It can include mood changes, low mood, depression, anxiety. Decreased libido, dry eyes, migraines, headaches, aches and pains, increased fibromyalgia-like pains, vaginal dryness, increased urinary problems or UTI-like symptoms, dizziness, tinnitus, burning mouth, gum problems, changing cholesterol levels, forgetfulness, onset of histamine intolerance or increased allergies, racing heart, and so much more. And I have all of these. And going on progesterone gave me a marked improvement in these symptoms, which is why you'll hear me rave about it in this episode. And recently I went on testosterone gel, and it's also been helping me immensely. And now that I've been investigating into perimenopause, I hear stories of people talking about how they suddenly got all these onset of symptoms, and they were told that it was fibromyalgia or aging, or they were gaslit and they were told that it's just stress or that they had mental health issues because they were depressed or having anxiety, or even people thinking that they had early-onset dementia because they were suddenly so forgetful. 
And then in reality, what these people had was perimenopause symptoms. And once they got on hormones, which could be estrogen, progesterone, and or testosterone, their symptom severity and their frequency drastically reduced. So if you have an onset of weird symptoms in your mid-30s or your late 30s or early 40s or late 40s, you know, this time when perimenopause is happening for most of us, or if you have a weird onset of symptoms after surgical menopause or losing an ovary or even after having a hysterectomy but keeping your ovaries, definitely consider that these could be menopause, perimenopause, or low hormone output symptoms and see a menopause expert and discuss hormone replacement therapy. Of course, your sudden onset of symptoms may not be related to perimenopause or menopause, but it could well be if you're in the age bracket or if you recently had your ovaries or your uterus surgically removed. I wish that I had realized two years ago how much my symptoms were from perimenopause, because when you are suffering miserably from symptoms like this, and you can't figure out what's wrong, and then you realize that it's perimenopause or menopause, and you get on the hormones that you need, your quality of life can drastically improve. All right, thanks for joining Learning Moments with Amy, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today we're going to continue our discussion about hormones. Between this episode and the next episode, we're going to talk about perimenopause, menopause, and hormone replacement therapy. Some of us already find ourselves in menopause after we've had our ovaries surgically removed, and others are going through natural menopause at this time or will be in the future. I myself have most likely been in perimenopause for the last two years, and I think I am because I have many symptoms of perimenopause, but it also could just be that after losing my ovary during my excision that my one remaining ovary is not putting out the hormones that it should. And since these hormonal problems began when I was 34, which is a little bit young for perimenopause, I mean, it's debatable what situation I'm in, but I personally consider myself to be in perimenopause. So no matter where you are in your blood journey, if you're having annoying, bothersome, or downright horrible hormone symptoms, you are in good company. We want to point out that since not everyone assigned female at birth identifies as a woman, we're going to use the inclusive term people throughout this episode. However, please keep in mind that since the hormones in people assigned male at birth are different from the hormones in people assigned female at birth, that our information today is focused towards people assigned female at birth. That was probably obvious, but we always just want to be very clear with everything that we've discussed to avoid confusion. Now, our hormones are overwhelming, whether we're in menopause or perimenopause or just cycling with our period. We have a lot of really great articles in the show notes of this episode today that's found on in16years.com. So if you want to do further reading, we really, really recommend that. Okay, Brittany, take it away. Since you're feeling so smart today. I don't know that that's the word, but thank you. 
Actually, Brittany and I both feel like garbage. Our hormones are terrible. We didn't sleep a wink. My mooshu is two days away. We're sitting here. It's like 930. We're in the morning. We're both like, we're so tired. Our eyes are closed. We both have hot flashes. Brittany's like, I'm hot. I'm like, don't send it to me. No, I'm hot, Brittany. And then we're cold. We're like, they were texting her husband. Can you turn the air up? Can you turn the air down? He's like, like, I'm just going to sit by the air conditioning. Our hormones are destroying Hormones are a mess right now. So, Brittany. So, Amy. I want to go over the difference between premenopausal, perimenopause. I can't even say it. Because <laughs> that's where I am and it's hard right now. And postmenopausal. Okay, I'm ready for trying to go through that <laughs> <Okay>. with you. <laughs> I think these terms are thrown around a lot like premenopausal, peri, and post, pre, peri, and post. Or is it peri? Perry. Oh, <laughs> we went French for a second. Chapel, it's Perry, but Paris. I like it. <laughs> Perry menopause. <laughs> wow. We just offended all of our French listeners. <laughs> Sorry, French speakers who listen to us <laughs> for that accent. <laughs> I was doing my best, Brittany. It's okay. To be job. honest, the French accent is really hard. It is. But I do speak Spanish with a good accent, but French was never my That's very different. forte. No, it definitely was not. Okay, so if a person is premenopausal, what does that mean? Well, premenopausal is when somebody is still cycling, which for me is confusing because premenopausal sounds like they're about to go into menopause, but it actually means they're just regularly having cycles. They're nowhere near menopause. They're just still cycling like normal. When you say cycling, do you mean like bicycling? Yes. Do you mean tricycling? Yes. Do you mean unicycling? Yes. But more, I mean blood cycling. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like an exercise craze. (laughs) That nobody wants. (laughs) Okay, we're all going to go blood cycle now for 20 minutes. Is that bicycling Um, More like five days straight. (laughs) Is that like free bleed bicycling? Like, is that what that is? (laughs) Yeah, you sit on the bike. It has a built-in cup. And you just free bleed. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we should start that. You do it naked. When you sit on the bicycle seat, it has a built-in cup to catch the blood. Wow. And then you pedal your feet. Imagine never having to wear a tampon while sitting on a bike seat again. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) And who is doing that in the first place? (laughs) I mean, lots of people. Who is cycling? If you work out on your period, I am so impressed by you. (laughs) Wow. I'm so impressed by you. My workout is crawling to the toilet. I mean, my workout is just standing up sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Trying to pull the blanket up from my feet. Yeah. (laughs) Putting in a tampon is the workout. If I can get it in. <laughs> yeah, when you put it in, it works the tricep. When you pull it out, works the bicep. Yeah, yeah. all right. That's true. <laughs> As you struggle to try to get it in, that sitting down works the glutes and the thighs. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole workout. <laughs> so the next one is perimenopausal. What is perimenopausal, Amy? thought I was asking you the questions here. No, 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 no. <laughs> How wrong you are. Fine, I'll answer because I believe I may be in perimenopause. It is unclear. Fun. <laughs> Not at all. So perimenopause is a transition period when a person is going from a blood caterpillar to a bloodless butterfly. I don't know whether to be disgusted <laughs> by that or like in awe of that. I feel mixed. I feel mixed feelings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you can look at menopause how you want. Well, actually, we'll get to that about how society views menopause. But, you know, let's look at it as something, a beautiful thing 
shift in the body, a transition to the new spring of the person, the new person's second spring. So the cocoon of perimenopause can last anywhere from two years. Oh, that's not so bad. To 12 years. Oh, yeah, that's bad. (laughs) Help us. And during this time, the ovaries are no longer working as they once were. It's Wait, is that assumed they were ever working? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> mine were never working as they once were. <laughs> well, now they're like really not working. So basically think of it as like, okay, maybe they are going to. It's like they were working wrong. Now they've retired. <laughs> I was thinking more, yes, or along the lines of like, you know, for many of us when we're in high school, maybe. We're getting straight A's. That'd be the ovaries working really well. <laughs> or we're just like doing our best, but we're not getting A's. And that'd be like Brittany and I, my ovaries, <laughs> you know, getting some C's, some mm-hmm. D's, failing. Skipping class a lot. A lot of classes. <laughs> yeah. In detention. Suspended at times. <laughs> and now graduation is approaching. Oh. Yes. And that's when the ovaries will go into menopause. They'll graduate. They'll be done with school. So senior year is perimenopause. Senior year, or it could be, you know, four years. The whole <laughs> high school could be perimenopause. Please, no. But let's just go with, you know, you have a quick cocoon, a one-year cocoon of perimenopause. And you're in high school in the last year. And I don't know if you've ever heard of people talk about senioritis. Mm-hmm. And senioritis is like, it's for your seniors so in your last year, but you have itis, which is like, you're like sick of school. like Tired. Sen- senioritis. Mm-hmm. So maybe you start, you know skipping class or showing up late or not studying for a test because you're just so tired of you're just so eager to graduate get out there into the world and i love how being in school for four years it's like socially acceptable by society to have like senioritis but what about being at a job for four years why can't i get job aritis <laughs> that's, that's just, not fair that's just flat out being called burned out and you get fired for that <laughs> I know, okay? it's not fair. god <laughs> I want to have job. Or I have job. It should, we should be allowed to have a little bit of job aritis, okay? <laughs> Workeritis. Well, now the ovaries and perimenopause have ovaritis. Okay, I get it. Oftentimes, people know that they're in perimenopause because their cycle changes, and the their blood cycling indicates to them <laughs> that changes are happening in the body. No, not the change. <laughs> not more changes. God, please. Jeez. So maybe you skip your cycle, or your cycle gets shorter. Thank you, 21-day cycles from 28. I hate you. Or they get longer. Or they get irregular. (laughs) (laughs) How much more irregular could mine be? (laughs) And also people might start to get common symptoms like hot flashes, insomnia, night sweats, brain fog, joint pain, weight gain. How am I supposed to tell when that's what I have right now? (laughs) How am I supposed to know? (laughs) We're just in trouble. That's all it is. We're just in trouble. One day, we'll just keep going on like this until the blood just stops. Stops, yep. And they're like, I had had no indication I was in perimenopause. I think I've been in perimenopause since I was 16. (laughs) I have no indication of how long I was in perimenopause for, but I guess I was. Okay, but jokes aside, how do we know if we're in perimenopause? There's no lab test that can tell us, but depending on our age and symptoms, we could likely distinguish if we're in perimenopause. So let's start with age. Since perimenopause is the blood caterpillar's transition to being a bloodless butterfly, 
you can potentially start perimenopause up to 10 to 12 years before menopause. (laughs) Wow. I think I'm 12 years out or 14. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see when menopause happens. But the average age for the last period is around 45 to 55. So you can potentially start menopause as young as 35 or later, like in your 40s. Next, symptoms. (laughs) Everybody's favorite part. Yay. So we got this next set of information from Laura Bryden's website, and she states that in accordance to Dr. Geraldine C. Pryor, both of whom we've mentioned in our fabulous resource section, so check them out. Check the show notes always. So Dr. Pryor says that if you have the right age for perimenopause and have at least three of the following changes to your body, it's likely you're in perimenopause. Oh, actually, you know what's going to be really fun? I'm going to put you on the spot, Amy. You're going to take a quiz this time. Yeah. So since you're unsure 100% if you're in perimenopause or not, and you always quiz me, I'm going to quiz you and we're going to find out. All right. I want to know, am I in perimenopause? I think I am. Okay, Amy, Let's here's have question one. Dr. Pryor's research. Dr. Brittany. Oh, okay. Not a doctor, but I'm going to have doctor, for this pretend moment. Dr. Brittany reading Dr. Pryor's research. <laughs> yes, thank you, Dr. Okay, Pryor. Dr. Pryor Brittany. <laughs> All right, Amy, question one. Yes. Are you over 35? Yes. And proud of it. Woohoo! By the way, things get better with age. Age like a fine wine. Let's all age and be proud of it. Yes, we should. Question two Amy, do you have any of the following? New onset heavy or longer flow? No. Shorter menstrual cycles, 25 days or less? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I could have answered that for Hello, you. Hello, <laughs> 21 day menstrual cycles. Do I miss you, 28 day menstrual cycles? <laughs> I don't know. It's just like Red Dragon wants to fly to my vagina's doorstep sooner than usual. I guess he misses me more frequently than before. That's fun. Okay, next change. Do you have newly sore, swollen, or lumpy breasts? No. Do you have new mid-sleep waking? Yes, so much mid-sleep waking slash not being able to go to sleep. Do you have increased menstrual cramps? No. Thank goodness. I know. Thank God. (laughs) One thing. Do you have an onset of night sweats, in particular pre-menstrually? Yes, yes, I wake up, I'm so sweaty. Yes, yes, I wake up, I'm so sweaty. (laughs) Then my cat goes, you're sweaty, I'll lick your arm. And I'm like, (laughs) no, don't do that. Mommy's not a drink machine. (laughs) Do you have new or markedly increased migraine headaches? Yes, I don't like this game. Well, it's not done yet. Oh, Do God. you have new or increased premenstrual mood swings? No. Weight gain without changes in exercises or eating? No, no, and no. But I will tell you that although I have not had weight changes without changes in exercise or eating, I have had changes in my eating because I have been so hungry. And typically I don't get hungry. Like I don't often feel hungry, especially with the way that I eat, which is high fat and protein. But I've definitely noticed a change in my metabolism and that I've been hungry. Like in the evening, I'm like, I'm hungry. But I I just say dinner. How am I hungry? It's weird. Weird things are happening. Well, you want to know your results, weird thing? Yeah. (laughs) So here's your results, Amy, of your quiz. Drum roll, please. Oh, it's in my Imperi menopause. (laughs) So since you have four of these. Yes. Yeah, probably. And congratulations, I'm going to weave you your very own roll of red silk so that you can cocoon yourself in your perimenopause phase and come out a beautiful menopausal butterfly. 
Thank you, Brittany. I'm so excited because I've really been thinking that that's what's going on with my hormones. And it's so great that Dr. Brittany Pryor could confirm that for me. Maybe come back and ask me in like three years. <laughs> Check back in. <laughs> yeah. So a couple years for menopause. Now I've been doing this for like a year. So maybe ask me in three years and I'll let you know if my period's just like stopped or if I'm just like stuck in hell and my body's confused. <laughs> like, no, this isn't perimenopause, but we act exactly like we're like perimenopause. This is peri perimenopause. This is perimenopause <laughs> wannabe. Okay. This is like you want to be with the cool kids, but you can't. So you stand in the window of the ice skating rink, and just you, like, like staring act like in, them, but and, you can't quite hack it yeah. and pretending. <laughs> but for me, I'm definitely having hot flashes, insomnia, and forgetfulness. So oral progesterone is my favorite thing in the whole world right now. <laughs> it even got its own theme song. <laughs> Perimenopause is a time when progesterone is on a slow and natural decline. Goodbye. So long, farewell. We may also begin to have anovulatory cycles, which are cycles where we don't ovulate. And what happens if we don't ovulate? I will tell you what happens is that we don't make progesterone because progesterone is made in the corpus luteum, which is a structure that forms in the ovary after a person ovulates. Ooh. Maybe I'm not in perimenopause because I feel like I just had really good memory recall there from the last episode. Like, I feel like I just killed it. Like, brain fog? Uh-uh, honey. Lifted. Memory loss? No, thank you. You can have moments of lucidity, okay? <laughs> Three minutes later, I'm like, am I wearing pants? Is it breakfast time? Brittany, why are we in the box? <laughs> so, perimenopause is a time when progesterone is going down and often lower than normal. But guess what your estrogen is doing? Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh is right. Because your estrogen is riding a roller coaster. It's like the body brought estrogen to a theme park and it looked at all the roller coasters and was like, I'm going to go on that one and that one and that one, the 12-year fury and the one that has the loops and causes me to be upside down at times. The 12-year fury. Yeah, that was for you. <laughs> 12 years for the time that my perimenopause is probably going to last. <laughs> the 12-year fury. No, but really, is that really a roller coaster name? The 12-year fury? I mean, there are roller coasters with the name fury in them. Like, it's, it's a common roller coaster name. But I don't think there's the 12-year fury because that'd be a long roller coaster to be on. Lucky you. So my partner loves roller coasters. And there's one called the Steel Vengeance that I think could apply here. <laughs> Ooh. Actually, I think we could rename that the Blood Vengeance. Oh, <laughs> the steel uterus. <laughs> the steel tampon. That's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> the steel menstrual cup. It should be one of those roller coasters that launches you onto the track. So that would be like the mid-cycle squat. You know, you squat down and it just shoots out. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> there is a roller coaster called the Intimidator 305. And that applies to everything that I've experienced ever. <laughs> I think we could call perimenopause the intimidator 12 yeah. year. Yeah, that's 12 accurate. year. Oh, cry. <laughs> <laughs> what about the phantom's revenge? Ooh, the ovaries revenge. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> There's the Hulk, but that's more like what the uterus does naturally at all moments yeah. of the menstrual cycle. You won't like to see me angry. No, we do every time, okay? We see you angry every time. <laughs> Turns red instead of green. Yeah, yeah. We need to go repaint that track. <laughs> so estrogen is off on their multitude of roller coaster rides, this one specifically called the 12-Year Fury. 
And during perimenopause, you can have estrogen three times higher than when you were younger. What? And then it can drop super low. Oh, gosh. And those highs and lows, like a roller coaster, and the change from high and low can put you in hell. (laughs) 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 Plus, since progesterone is saying it's slow goodbye and lower than before, it's not balancing out these up and down effects of estrogen. Progesterone's always been that chill one, the wise, older, sage, chilled out. So it's kind of like the one who's like, I'm not going to go on a roller coaster. I'm yeah, just going to go on the flume. With... I'm just going to chill on the lazy river. Oh. Sounds so nice. Just a slow, you know, it's a small world versus a roller coaster. <laughs> but without progesterone to keep estrogen calm, it's riding those roller coasters. And also because it's estrogen, it's not using any of the lap belts. You know, it's just free hanging. Just reckless. I love adrenaline. (laughs) Yeah, estrogen does. And that's why we get these symptoms, because progesterone is low and estrogen is low and not and low and not and low and not and doing whatever the heck it wants. So estrogen needs to get off of that roller coaster and someone needs to give us progesterone. Stat, please. All right, Brittany, explain to us what menopause is. Well, menopause is when a person hasn't had a period in one year and is continuing to not cycle. Happily for us, we may still have symptoms throughout that one year and later while we're not cycling anymore. So the symptoms seem to never end. Well, hopefully they will. But Then what is the point of getting into (laughs) menopause? I thought perimenopause was the cocoon of growth in the body. By growth, I mean gradual decline and no longer working of the ovaries. And then the ovary... Oh, I guess I only have one ovary. So the, my one <laughs> ovary will graduate from high school. But you're telling me it well, can still have symptoms yes. and homework and projects to turn in and tests and stress. it doesn't have to go to school. Oh. A bloodless emergence is still something that's great. <laughs> okay. All right. I like it. So basically the same helmet now, but no blood. Yes. So no We'll like, take any relief we can get. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I had my period the other day and TMI or not, I don't know, but. Since my period has been changing, my blood that comes out has been like so thin and <laughs> I know watery. What story you're telling, <laughs> and I'm just like right now, like usual, not able to put in a tampon or a cup or anything. So I'm wearing pads, which chafe my butt and chafes all the area, and it's just uncomfortable. But hey, it's what I got to soak up the blood. So, anywho, I was in the bathroom to go pee, and I just like pulled down my pants and went pee and pulled it back up. And then <laughs> as I turned around, I was like flushing the toilet. There was blood everywhere. There was blood on the wall. There was blood on the light switch, which I sent a picture and I th- sent it to Brittany. Which really honestly defied gravity. Like the way that the blood <laughs> was on the light switch made no sense on planet Earth. It was wild, There was y'all. blood all over my legs. There was blood all over the toilet seat. There was blood on was like, the crime side scene. of the shower. It was I was like, scene. I don't I didn't even change my pad. I just went pee, for God's sakes. Like, I had the pants down for, like, three minutes, if that. So, anyway, to have no more blood. Yeah, you'll take that. Yeah, I will be satisfied. (laughs) To have no blood, that will be the one redeeming quality of menopause, if I still have the symptoms. But I love that in her book, The Hormone Repair Manual, that Lara Brighton said that most perimenopause symptoms are temporary. The word temporary is music to my ears. The word most was not really, I mean, it was good that she said most, not like a few, but I was like, couldn't you say all perimenopause symptoms are temporary? 
But the good thing is that she said that most perimenopause symptoms are temporary, which means there'll be an end to most of them. Please. Most? (laughs) Please. All? (laughs) But basically during perimenopause and the beginning of menopause, the body is recalibrating to its new state of lowered hormones. Recalibrate faster, body. Recalibrate faster. When we finish discussing the life stage of menopause, we're going to go into why we have these common symptoms and then what we can hopefully do about them. So talking about menopause as an aside, there's one large major medical website that a person can visit that marks menopause. Mysterious. So we don't want to out them. So we just want to say like several websites say. This is not uncommon. Including this big one. Website that a person and listen to my language here, a person is diagnosed with menopause after twelve months of no cycle. Hold on, let me blink like rapidly like ten times. Hold on. <laughs> Cue uh, what sound? Diagnosed. <laughs> diagnosed. Diagnosed. With yeah, as if it's not a natural progression of our bodies. As it's if a there's disease, wrong Brittany. With it. Ridiculous. Diagnosed, really. Well, I think this goes back to something we talked about in the episodes we did on the sex and gender bias about this viewpoint of the female body and the things that happen to the body throughout a person's lifetime as being diseases. Like puberty and getting your period is is seen as something, you know, like, oh, pain is normal. Like you're supposed to feel sick during that time. No, you're not. Mm-mm. And then it's like, oh, well, your person is diagnosed with menopause after 12 months of no blood cycling. What is that? Like, I'm just. I'm not diagnosed with old age. Like these are things <laughs> that just happen. Like It's <laughs> natural. It's the second spring. It's the blood caterpillar turning into the bloodless butterfly. I can't wait for menopause, to be honest. <laughs> I can't wait until I stop having to pay my yeah. landlord to repaint the walls in the bathroom. <laughs> like, could you just paint them red or black? She's like, I like white. It's like, open. Well, <laughs> well, white is not working for me, lady. Okay. You need to put drop cloths in your bathroom. <laughs> you come over, you use my bathroom. You're like, like, why is there why? a tarp? Why are there sheets just like <laughs> the tarp? <laughs> That'd be better. Waterproof. Yeah, waterproof. So what happens to our hormones in menopause, though, Amy? Well, during menopause, we have lower level of hormones than when we were cycling. Estrogen is still made in small amounts through the ovaries. Or ovary. Or ovary. (laughs) Or an ovary, if you're lucky, and have no ovaries left. (laughs) And also, estrogen is made in the adrenal glands and in the fat tissues. So to recap, menopause is a natural process, not a disease. And starts one year after our last period. Oh, I cannot wait for that time in my life. One year after my last period. Waiting with bated breath. (laughs) (laughs) And we also want to point out something that we didn't know, which is that if you have your uterus removed during surgery, but you keep your ovaries, you don't go into menopause, but your periods do stop. Interesting. So you're still cycling, but you don't bleed. We had thought that because our period stopped, you were automatically in menopause, but nope, we were proven wrong, and your ovaries are typically still making hormones. So that's a really good misconception that we got cleared up for ourselves. So even though you aren't bleeding, you can still have premenstrual symptoms. (laughs) (laughs) No blood, but hello PMS. (laughs) Yes, and trouble sleeping, 
and hormonal migraines and changes in libido and all of the other symptoms that come with a period, but sands the blood. So you're still cycling, you know, on that bike riding, (laughs) but you're not bleeding into your cup. So cupless, but still with all the symptoms, still riding that cycle bike. (laughs) Before we move on, I did want to clarify between three different situations involving menopause. The first one is when we said that a person is considered to be in menopause one year after their last period, and this would be natural menopause. The second situation would be surgical menopause, and surgical menopause actually begins on the same day that you would have both of your ovaries out. So if you've had your ovaries removed, then you'll be plunged into menopause. So in that case, menopause isn't considered to start one year after your last period, but it would begin when your ovaries are removed. And having both of your ovaries removed can cause a really big shock to the body, and this can cause a lot of difficult symptoms. This is where something like hormone replacement therapy can be really helpful, although, of course, it can be really helpful with natural menopause as well, But with surgical menopause, it can be really helpful. And we're going to talk more about hormone replacement therapy in the next episode. And then a third situation that we want to talk about is if you have your uterus removed, but you keep your ovaries. And in this case, even though you're not going to have your period any longer, you're not considered to go into menopause a year after you stop bleeding because you stopped bleeding for surgical reasons because you had your uterus removed. In this case, you won't be able to use your absence of menstrual blood as an indicator for menopause because you no longer bleed, but you can probably tell when you're in perimenopause and menopause based on your age and based on the changes that we mentioned earlier in that fun quiz that I took. It's important to know, however, that some people also go into menopause earlier after having a hysterectomy without ovary removal. And in addition, the NHS states that after hysterectomy, your ovaries could fail within five years of having your uterus removed. And this is because the ovaries receive some of their blood supply through the uterus. So if you're considering a hysterectomy without ovary removal, or you've had one, these are important considerations to discuss with your doctor. Well, this is fun. Even before perimenopause, your hormones start to decline at different times in your life. So at different ages, different hormones start to go downhill. Or if you're lucky, they started at the bottom of the hill and all they did was crawl into a mud pit because they couldn't go any deeper. (laughs) (laughs) Go downhill? I wasn't at the top of the hill to start with. (laughs) Lucky me, I'm just wallowing in mud now. So let's talk about my favorite hormone first, which is progesterone. Oh, we know your blessed progesterone. Now, progesterone is at the top of the hill until a person is, on average, around 35 years old. I'm 35 years old now, so that really makes a lot of sense to me. Now, if you remember, progesterone is like the cool, chill hormone, so I can just imagine progesterone (laughs) putting on her sunglasses, but like really cool kid sunglasses. Yeah, like maybe really bright neon green with shiny or your, your vision of cool kid was very different than my vision of my Or head. sunglasses that are like shaped like strawberries or something. Oh, okay. We have very different cool kid Or hearts. I'm liking the hearts. <laughs> Elton John style. All right. All right. I respect that. Okay. <laughs> so progesterone puts on her sunglasses. Could be neon. Could be shaped like a strawberry. Could be a heart. 
Those are the only three pairs she has, so people don't ask for more because <laughs> that's what she got. This will be Amy in her menopausal state. <laughs> <laughs> maybe when I'm like 65. You're going to be a cool older I'm gonna person. I'm going to be an awesome lady who's older. Yes, you're going to be great. <laughs> Progesterone's got her sunglasses on, and she leaves the top of the hill, and she begins her slow walk downhill to the bottom when she's around 35 years old. And she's like, I'm out of here, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) Thank you, Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) I swear I, like, woke up from my surgery where they removed my ovary, and I asked the nurse who was attending me in the post-op recovery area, and I was like, oh, my God, do you hear anyone speaking Spanish right now? She's like, uh... (laughs) She's like, no. No. (laughs) I was like, that was my progesterone saying, you lost an ovary, we ain't gonna work no more. Hasta la vista, Amy. (laughs) So in your case, it was less of a slow descent and more somebody was at the top of the hill and and kicked him off. (laughs) She just like fell off. She was like, oh, I'm going to start walking. Then she like tripped and stumbled all the way down the hill. Her sunglasses (laughs) rolled off. They cracked. She was like, no, my strawberry glasses. And then she found herself at the bottom in the mud pit with Brittany. Yeah. That sounds accurate. (laughs) The mud's fun this time of year. Come on in. But I'm dressed in white. I'm too pretty for this. You're dressed in white with blood involved? What is wrong with you? I'm progesterone. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm collected. Yeah, now your blood's stained I'm not dirty. messy like Amy with her blood. <laughs> her bloody bathroom. <laughs> so next we have DHEA, which we explained in the previous episode is a building block for both estrogen and testosterone. And it helps our memory. What memory? Our energy, lead energy, <laughs> maintaining cardiovascular health, I'm all right with that, musculoskeletal support, guess that's okay, promotion of mental health, thin ice. Yeah, very, in Brittany's case, very, <laughs> very thin, thin, very thin. And immune system regulation, probably okay, it is unknown at this time. So on average, the DHEA starts to decline around 20, which is, wow, that's so young. So it's essentially like, hey, estrogen and testosterone, stop using me. I'm leaving now. And peace is out. (laughs) Well, DHA is tired. He's tired. He's like, I've been working for 20 years. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) You've been using me all my life. I'm my own person. You're trying to convert me into something different. I'm out. Estrogen and testosterone. Not having it. (laughs) I want to be DHA. Don't you get it? That's the ultimate cool kid. Leave the toxic situation, DHA. I like it. (laughs) DHA, you're my role model. <laughs> and then we also have good old estrogen, or not good old estrogen. Let's stop calling it good old. <laughs> it thinks it's the best hormone. It needs to be taken down a peg. All right, estrogen, who has its head up its... We're going to roast you. Okay, <laughs> estrogen. <laughs> well, estrogen, on average in a person, begins their descent down the hill, fighting and screaming. I don't want to go down. I want to stay up on the hill. And you're like, estrogen. Sounds like estrogen. Your sun has set. Get down the hill. (laughs) Okay. Progesterone and DHA started going all by themselves. No one had to make them. No one had to. Estrogen's like, I'm going to hang on to the end. Can just let go, estrogen. Let go. Come on already. You're not important. We're going to have to. I know you think you're so important. And you like (laughs) are pretty important for a lot of processes in the body, but you're not like. Like, Now's your time to be done. You've done the work. Be humble. Stop being a workaholic. Be humble and get off the hill. (laughs) 
And so normally estrogen is kicked down the hill when the person, on average, is in their late 40s or early 50s. It really all depends on when the person goes through menopause. So as Brittany explains, in perimenopause, estrogen is unpredictable and fluctuating up and down, 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 up like that. On the roller coaster with a vengeance, screaming without the seatbelt on. Very dangerous. And because that estrogen can reach peaks significantly higher than in your pre-menopause cycling years. I guess estrogen just wants to go out with a bang, like the biggest bang. Like it just wants to make its grand exit. Estrogen is so dramatic. It's like that saying, if you're going to go down, go down in flames. And estrogen took that to heart. (laughs) (laughs) So dramatic, estrogen. So now we want to talk more about the great progesterone decline of perimenopause and the perimenopause transition. The time when the bloody caterpillar is turning into a gorgeous, bloodless butterfly. Sounds morbid. I'm in. (laughs) We want to talk about progesterone and the issues that we can have in the body as progesterone quietly sneaks away. Without the same kind of drama and flames that estrogen has, progesterone just quietly tiptoes away during the perimenopause years. So I'll start by talking about progesterone. Because I am so in love with progesterone, which I know I've said a million times, but that's because I am seriously so in love with progesterone. And part of me wants to marry progesterone for my third marriage, but we will never divorce. Like, I know if I marry progesterone, we will stay married forever. This is a lifelong commitment, people. (laughs) And hopefully progesterone will be rich and I'll be marrying into inheritance. And I won't have to worry about my retirement. (laughs) All the things we wish for progesterone. (laughs) So why am I so in love with progesterone? What can progesterone do for us if we're in perimenopause? So do you have blood gushing out of your vagina? Yeah? (laughs) Yes. Heavy, heavy cycles. (laughs) Yes. Well, progesterone can lighten your periods. In perimenopause, you can have heavier periods due to the high estrogen and low progesterone. Up that progesterone and bye-bye gush gush and hello. Oh, there's some blood. (laughs) It's a good swap. Are you hot? I mean, so, (laughs) so hot. I'm sitting here sweating right now. We all know that you're hot and you're gorgeous. We all know that you're like, wow. Wow. They are fabulous. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) But we mean, are you having hot flashes? Are you sweating like a pig? Do you want to fan yourself at all time and open your (laughs) freezer door and shove your face in and then shove your body in? Did you recently order a walk-in freezer and then put yourself in it for 25 minutes? I would love to. (laughs) Why can't I just be the first type of hot and not the second type of hot? Well, progesterone can potentially help with your hot flashes even without taking estrogen alongside. Oh, some soothing cooling. (laughs) Are you up all night biting your nails with insomnia? Wondering when the heck you're ever going to sleep again? Yes. Nods, yes. Many times. <laughs> Nods yes. also, Frantic yes. nodding. Yes, 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 yes. Sleepy, frantic nodding. <laughs> Nods off. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> Progesterone can help you restore your sleep because it calms the GABA, or GABA, receptors in your brain. Oral progesterone is better for this than the cream. And oral progesterone can also make you sleepy because of its interaction with the brain. It converts to allopregnenolone. Ah, oh, sleep. Cool sleep. Be quiet, Brittany, because I'm feel- <gasps> feeling... 
feeling irritated and moody. I could have Feeling guessed. like you want to snap at someone. I could have guessed. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. <laughs> feeling like your mood is on a roller coaster like estrogen is. <laughs> well, progesterone can help with your mood. Ah, because it calms the GABA receptors in your brain. Plus, if you're sleeping better, then your mood tends to also be better. Capsules typically tend to be better than the cream for this. Are you hormonally anxious? Do all the little molehills in your life seem like mountains? Well, progesterone can help with hormonal anxiety and reduced ability to handle stress. Press 5 for... <laughs> I felt like I was in an infomercial for a second there. <laughs> but progesterone... You are for progesterone. <laughs> I am. Because progesterone helps by stabilizing our HPA axis. If we get HPA dysfunction, you can have higher cortisol and adrenaline, which can hurt your sleep, which can make you feel fatigued, depressed, hurt your immune function, and more. The anxiety may be going wild during perimenopause. <gasps> Lucky us. I will say that my anxiety has been all over the place in these past couple of years. And it's really weird because it's more like a body anxiety. And when I was younger, I had a lot of anxiety, but my anxiety was really around racing thoughts and just like rumination, obsessive worrying, repeated thoughts over and over again that I just like could not get out of these thought loops. And it was really bad. At that time, I did cognitive behavioral therapy and meditation, and that really helped with those worries and ruminations that I had. But now the anxiety that I'm getting is this like hormonal anxiety, and I can tell it's hormonal because it's changing throughout my cycle. And it's this physical sensation of anxiety, like my chest will be really tight and I'll have these feelings of panic. And I feel like I can't breathe sometimes. It's like hard to take in air. So that's been fun. So anyone else who can identify with hormonal anxiety, <laughs> scream with me. <laughs> and this is so funny. Wait, not really. Not funny at all. Not funny. Ha ha. Just funny. 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 funny like, oh, the universe <laughs> is so funny. <laughs> Isn't it? Not really. Not. But stress can affect your progesterone levels because stress can make your body feel unsafe to ovulate. Because your body's like, nope, we are not bringing another human being into this scary world during these very scary hard times. Or stress can lead to reduced pituitary signaling, which in turn affects the ovaries, which in turn affects ovulation. And then you know what that affects with the poor ovulation or the no ovulation. You get the poor progesterone or the no progesterone. This is a song nobody ever wanted to be composed. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Because so, it's a terrible song. So basically the <laughs> point is this cycle where low progesterone can reduce your ability to handle stress. Okay? Because we said that progesterone typically helps stabilize the HPA axis. So you have more stress because of your low progesterone. The more stress actually ends up potentially biologically leading to low progesterone. The low progesterone leads to the more stress. The more stress leads to the low progesterone. The low progesterone leads to the high stress, and the high stress leads to the low progesterone, and the low progesterone leads to the high stress, and the high stress leads to the low progesterone, and the high... We get it, Amy! Goodness! <laughs> <laughs> okay, someone is irritable and moody and needs a little... Yeah, what do you want? <laughs> need a drop of progesterone over there, okay? <laughs> so, you put progesterone on everything, the way people put salt on their food. Oh, know? yeah. <laughs> it adds a little bit of spice for my hormones, you know? So we know that in the previous hormone episode, we raved about magnesium 
And we want to say that magnesium and progesterone work really well together for many, many of these symptoms. Ah, the magnesium and the progesterone will sort you out, potentially, because we're all different. But they sorted me out. Not in every aspect of my life, but in crucial ones, let me tell you. (laughs) So we mentioned a little bit in the differences about the progesterone cream versus the progesterone oral capsule. So cream is often prescribed for mild symptoms and the capsules for stronger symptoms, especially insomnia. Give me the capsule. Give me the whole bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Progesterone by itself often relieves symptoms of natural menopause. Yes. But Lara Bryden, author of The Hormone Repair Manual, said that progesterone alone doesn't work for surgical menopause because progesterone works in conjunction with estrogen. So you need at least some estrogen. And the ovaries provide this in natural menopause. Oh, interesting. Okay. And like always, of course, if you're thinking about using progesterone, talk to your doctor to see if that is right for you, what dosage you would need, what method, you know, cream or oral, capsule, etc. We're going to talk a lot about progesterone in this episode and in the next episode as part of hormone replacement therapy. And as we know, Amy is singing the praises of progesterone because it's been a huge help to her perimenopausal problems. Progesterone, progesterone. That's right. But like every... Progesterone. (laughs) Excuse me. Progesterone. This isn't your concert. (laughs) (laughs) Tell that to progesterone. She made me do it. Okay, that's fine. Progesterone. Please stop the standing ovation. she makes me feel happy. No encore. She makes me feel calm and happy. Oh, I'm happy for you. But not everyone. I'm happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) But she doesn't make everyone feel happy. Here we go. That's what we're going to talk about. Strap in, all right? So, but like everything to do with our health, our bodies are all different. We're all individuals. So while many people find that taking progesterone helps their perimenopause symptoms, some people find that it doesn't. And some even find that progesterone, like any hormones we can take, could actually affect their mental health negatively, causing them anxiety or depression. That's why it's really important to work with your doctor when you're taking hormone replacement therapy. For most people, progesterone is good for mood because it converts to allopregnenolone, which calms GABA receptors in our brain. But for people with premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD, in their case, the allopregnenolone does not calm GABA receptors. Instead, it can cause anxiety or other mood symptoms. So if progesterone is causing negative mood symptoms, sometimes changing the dose to be higher or lower could help. Others may stop progesterone altogether. It's all individual. But we just want to be clear that PMS is not the same as PMDD. And if you think that you might have PMDD, then please definitely speak to your doctor about this. We also want to point out that progestin isn't progesterone. And we'll talk about this in our next episode, but Progestin is a synthetic hormone, like in birth control or the Mirena IUD or Depo-Provera or Deanagest with progestin only. However, progesterone is bioidentical, and it's called progesterone, whereas progestins have long sciency names. So progestins have been linked to anxiety and depression, and progestin doesn't convert to allopregnenolone so it doesn't have the ability to calm our GABA receptors in the brain like progesterone does. Yeah, I took Depo-Provera, which is a progestin-only hormone shot. And for the three months that the shot lasts, I was absolutely a total mess with my mood. 
I was anxious. I was weeping all the time. I was paranoid. I was having terrible hot flashes. But, you know, to keep this really focused on mood, like my mental health was very severely affected. And even though the Depo-Provera helped with my endometriosis symptoms at the time, I was like, no, uh uh-uh, never again. Do not ever come near me with progestins. I had a really bad experience with progestin, but now I'm having the time of my life with progesterone. I'm loving progesterone. I would marry progesterone. I will name my next cat progesterone. Just because progestins affected your mental health doesn't mean that progesterone will. The problems that I had from taking progestins were from drug side effects. And, you know, progesterone has really done the opposite for me. So we just wanted to clarify the difference between progesterone and progestin. And we will get in the next episode more in depth when it comes to hormone replacement therapy because many people confuse them and they use them interchangeably. And when they talk about progestin, they say progesterone, but they're really meaning progestin, but they're absolutely not the same. All right, now we want to muse for a minute or for like 40 minutes about the 12-year fury that I'm in and that I'm sure many of you are in called perimenopause. Basically, right now we want to talk about why do we have so many symptoms during this time? And the reason why is that our bodies are used to having estrogen and progesterone. And estrogen and progesterone have many benefits in the body, and the body relied on estrogen and progesterone for many of its processes. The body during perimenopause and the beginning of menopause has to recalibrate and adjust. In the past, we've talked about many of the benefits that both progesterone and estrogen have in the body. So I think it's really important to say this, but I just really need to hear it again because I need some extra reassurance and maybe some of you listening do as well. But most perimenopause symptoms are likely to be temporary temporary oh god i feel like that should just be like a like a meditation mantra like i just sit and i clasp my hands together and i just repeat the words temporary this hot flash is temporary temporary these migraines are temporary the insomnia is temporary we went ghostly you know because it's scary (laughs) now of course when we say temporary we could potentially mean 12 years but i mean 12 years is not forever even though it seems like forever so temporary (laughs) temporary it will end in a long long time or not but it will end so first we want to talk about sleep ah hormonal sleep problem sleep is our best friend But how can I sleep to help my hormones and other processes in the body when my hormones have stolen my sleep? It's like asking a riddle, an enigma that has no answer. I think a lot of us know that hormones can interfere with our sleep because we've seen it in our own lives. We've seen that a few days before a period, we might not be able to sleep. And for many of us during perimenopause, one of the first things to go can be our sleep. We might have fitful sleep, or we might have waking during our sleep due to hot flashes or night sweats, or we might have full-on insomnia, cannot get to sleep, lay there staring at the ceiling at five in the morning. Like, why am I not sleeping? And the world is better when we sleep. When we don't sleep, 
We can be irritated and cranky and have sugar cravings and have more fatigue and have an increase in pain in our bodies. So sleep is vital. And then the hormones go and they steal sleep away from us. The worst kind of thief. A sleep thief. (laughs) Why do we have insomnia or fitful sleep with PMS or with perimenopause? And that's often caused by a lack of progesterone. I think we're going to hear that all these symptoms are caused by a lack of progesterone. And even when we're cycling, progesterone drops at the end of the cycle right before our period comes. And so that can be why many of us, right before a period comes, we have trouble sleeping the couple of nights before we actually get our periods. And then as we know with perimenopause, progesterone is saying it's slow, goodbye, goodbye, it says, and bring sleep with it. Next, we're going to talk about Amy's favorite, and I'm going to talk about it so Amy doesn't have to. And that is perimenopausal histamine intolerance, or mast cell activation syndrome. Lucky Amy. Plug your ears, Amy, so I'm going to talk about this, okay? (laughs) Okay, I'm ready for you to talk about the misery that I'm going through, the hell that I'm in. We're going to do it real quick, okay? Okay. It's going to be like a band-aid. Rip it off. So histamine intolerance or mast cell activation syndrome can cause problems falling asleep, waking in the night, and insomnia to add insult to injury. Yes, yes, and yes. Both can be active or worsen during the days leading up to your period or during perimenopause because of our hormones. When progesterone is low during this time, our estrogen is typically higher, and our estrogen can increase histamine, and then our histamine stimulates estrogen, and estrogen stimulates histamine, a cycle nobody wants their body trapped in, which Amy's body is currently trapped in. Amy, plug your ears. I told you to plug your ears. She's going to be stimulated by this stimulation. Also, estrogen downregulates DAO, which is an enzyme, that clears out histamine. Uh. Oh, <laughs> Uh-oh is right. So you have less DAO to clear out the histamine. But wait, there's more. Progesterone also helps to remove histamine from the body. So during perimenopause, if your progesterone is lower, then histamine can have a harder time leaving the body. Perimenopause is an absolute disaster for histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome. Yes, it's hell. And yes, I'm living it. And I wonder how many others listening are living it too. Write me. Tell me about the hell you're in. So what can we do if our sleep is being stolen because of hormones and consequences of hormones? We do have some episodes coming up on sleeping tips, but a couple of things we can do is, you know, have good sleep hygiene, no screens at night, wind down before bed, have a regular sleep and wake time, sleep in a dark room, etc. And now if none of having the good sleep tips are helping you with your sleep perimenopause crisis, which I'll tell you, none of that is helping me. Like I had really amazing sleep for years. And then once I lost my ovary, it was like sleep was gone from my life and I could not get it back. Then if you're in perimenopause, you may want to talk to your doctor about oral progesterone. If you're in menopause, you may actually need progesterone and estrogen if you're waking in the night because of the way that menopause can interact with your sleep, which is a little different than perimenopause. Other things we can do for our sleep is take magnesium. Magnesium with glycine can help sleep. Glycine on its own, which is an amino acid, may be able to help sleep. And just to go back for a second and speak on histamine again. Sorry, Amy. During perimenopause, you can also see an increase potentially in your allergies. 
Just a totally random, another obnoxious thing that could happen during perimenopause. Down with perimenopause! (laughs) I hate, I hate the effects perimenopause has on the body as the progesterone is going bye-bye and the estrogen is going, yeah, I'm on my 12-year fury. And the body's just like, it's panicking. It's screaming with its arms over its head and on the it's roller like, coaster. Oh, now my sleep is weird. Oh, now my moods are weird. Oh, my, now my histamine is high. Oh, now I have allergies. Oh, make it stop already. Make it stop. It's temporary. It's temporary. Oh, yeah. Just remember. Uh-huh. Temporary. Ah, uh, temporary. Something else that may happen during perimenopause and menopause is that we have a lot more aches and pains. Oh, yes, yes. Who here wants more aches and pains? Because we never have aches and pains, right? So it's great to get more aches and pains. Wow. This can potentially go hand in hand with the sleep problems of perimenopause because as we know, if we don't, if we're not getting adequate sleep, that can affect our pain levels in our body. And then additionally, estrogen and progesterone can have anti-inflammatory effects. So scientists don't really know why, but it's speculated that maybe the decrease in estrogen and progesterone during perimenopause and menopause can affect the aches and pains in our body. And unfortunately, I think during perimenopause, it is a time when many people get diagnosed with fibromyalgia because of this increase in the aches and pains. So what can we do? Well, we can try to restore our sleep, which I really think that during this life transition of perimenopause, just trying to get our sleep in order because sleep has such a domino effect on the body. If we're not getting adequate sleep, it really does affect so many processes in our body. It affects our brain fog, our fatigue, our mood, our aches and pains, our cravings, our metabolism. Like, Trying to sort our sleep out is really vital, I think, during this time. And other things that we can do for an increase in aches and pains is gentle movement, yoga, walking, qigong, stretching, things like that to try to help with the aches and pains. Now, something else that can happen during perimenopause is the good old brain fog and memory problems, forgetfulness. Feeling like you're in a fog, feeling like you're in a haze, feeling like you're out of it. In the book Hormone Repair Manual by Lara Brighton, she explains about having these, you know, brain fog or forgetfulness in perimenopause. So I just want to go ahead and quote her from the book. So to quote, she says, In simplest terms, estrogen helps the brain cells use glucose for energy. And moving to the lower estrogen state of perimenopause can result in an up to 25% drop in the energy and activity of the brain. The drop will be even greater if you underwent surgical menopause and therefore don't have ovaries to provide estrogen and androgen precursors. It's basically a temporary, quote-unquote, energy crisis while your brain adjusts and recalibrates. Successful recalibration should restore normal brain energy and put you on the road to a healthy midlife brain. End quote. Hormone replacement therapy can be helpful for your concentration, your brain fog, your forgetfulness. And this could be via estrogen therapy. But I also want to highlight the often forgotten testosterone therapy. You know, unfortunately, even many menopause specialists ignore the important role that testosterone plays in our body 
and the ways that having low testosterone during perimenopause or menopause can make us absolutely miserable. I have heard multiple stories now on menopause podcasts of females who go into perimenopause and their memory and their concentration are so affected that they think that they are getting early onset dementia, which must be really scary. And then they start testosterone therapy and they feel like themselves again within a few months. In addition to improving libido, which is what testosterone is most commonly recommended for, testosterone can help improve other menopause-related symptoms such as anxiety, brain fog, fatigue, sleep, exercise intolerance, and it can enhance concentration and memory. So we're going to have an entire episode coming up at some point on testosterone because it is such a disservice to us that it is often a demonized and forgotten hormone for people born with ovaries. Something else we're probably all very familiar with, and especially during perimenopause and menopause, are the hot flashes. Uh, yes, so familiar, so hot, sweating so much. Literally burning right up, now in this moment. Ripping clothes off, uh, walking around naked. Boyfriend's saying, why are you walking around naked? Because I'm hot. <laughs> and until you get it, you don't get to talk about it. You don't get to judge and you don't get to make comments. He's like, okay. So the brain's ability to regulate our temperature is actually affected by our perimenopause or menopause. So if we're in perimenopause, hot flashes are likely being caused by low progesterone, and we need progesterone. If we're in menopause, they're likely caused from low estrogen, and we would improve them with estrogen and progesterone. During menopause, we can also have genitourinary syndrome. Wow. That does not sound like anything no, I don't want that it. anyone I don't want wants. It. Genital urinary syndrome. <laughs> it has all the things I don't want. Genitals and urinary. I don't want <laughs> anything affecting those. They're good. No, well, they're not good. No, they're good they're, enough with they're, what they're, what's being affected. They're actually really bad already. <laughs> I don't need so more. I don't need another syndrome on top of the syndromes I already have. Thank you. Well, basically, genital urinary, like Brittany said, it's the vagina, the bladder, the pelvic floor symptoms. And these can be associated with a lowered estrogen state. So things like vaginal dryness, burning, pain with sex or urination, losing the ability to have an orgasm, overactive bladder, UTI symptoms, etc. Vaginal estrogen is extremely helpful for genital urinary syndrome. It's used vaginally as a cream, as a suppository, etc., and vaginal estrogen can be started at any age and continued for life. Unfortunately, though, vaginal estrogen does have a black box warning on it because the FDA requires this on all estrogen products. And this scares a lot of people away from using vaginal estrogen, even though vaginal estrogen has not been shown to have the same risks as systemic estrogen. Some menopause experts have come together to petition the FDA to remove the black box warning from vaginal estrogen. And just so you know, you can take vaginal estrogen in addition to taking systemic estrogen, so taking estrogen via orally or a patch or something, so you can take it both systemically and locally. The next lovely symptom that you may tackle is migraines. So Amy gets migraines a few days before her period, and I usually get migraines as well. There's these throbbing, pounding, my eyes can barely open headaches that I get around my period. 
And that's when your estrogen drops from high to low. So that downward hill of the roller coaster. So if you get migraines right before your period, it could likely be because your estrogen was high and then dropped. <laughs> your estrogen was high in the roller coaster and like, oh, here comes the drop. And then the estrogen throws its hands up like, Wee! It screamed so loud it gave you a migraine. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> so in perimenopause, it's the drop and it's also the lower progesterone. Of course it is. Yes. Always coming back to the lower <laughs> progesterone. I love progesterone. We will get married. So that's why progesterone can help calm and even prevent the headaches. And I know you know what I'm going to say. The magnesium and the progesterone, all of those things, plus vitamin B, low histamine diet, could potentially help with that extreme zoom down on the roller coaster, not giving you a migraine every time it happens. The last symptom, although I'm sure there are many, many, many more that we could talk about with perimenopause or menopause, but the last one that we want to go into is fatigue. A lot of us have increased fatigue during perimenopause or during menopause. And I mean, honestly, it makes perfect sense because all of the symptoms that we've already talked about, all of these changes to our body as our body is trying to recalibrate as progesterone goes bye-bye and estrogen goes bye The drama, the drama, estrogen, the dramatic. But all of these symptoms are absolutely exhausting. And then on top of that, potentially we're having a lack of sleep. We're having insomnia. We're having hot flashes in the middle of the night waking us up. We're having the perimenopause transition, the beginning of menopause. The body is adjusting and the body's just like, oh my gosh, there's so much to adjust to. It is so, so tiring. And then on top of that, with endometriosis, we're already dealing with fatigue in most of our cases anyway. So we really just want to remind you, if you're in perimenopause, if you're in menopause, if you're just fatigued in general, and especially if you're in menopause because you've had your ovaries surgically removed and you've had that sudden drop in your hormones because of surgery, we really just want to encourage you to be gentle with yourself. Fatigue is horrible. It's awful. It sucks. It is one of my most hated symptoms. I hate having fatigue. It's really, really hard to deal with. So we just want you to know that it is okay to rest. It is okay to relax. It is okay to take a break. We encourage you to take up a new hobby called relaxation. Ooh. <laughs> and relaxation hobby is a judgment-free zone, so don't you dare judge yourself for relaxing or resting. Remember that your body is adjusting. Your body is adjusting to its new low hormonal state. If you're in menopause, if you're in perimenopause, your body is going through changes to put you in the new low hormonal state. And if you have endometriosis, well, your body has a disease. <laughs> so your body is like, what's going on? It's a whole new climate. It's like moving from South Florida, where it's hot and humid, to Alaska, where it's colder and not as humid. So your body is going through an entire climate adjustment, just like it would take your body time to adjust to temperature climate changes. It also takes time for your body to adjust to hormonal climate changes. So just remember, if you're really fatigued, it is not because you're lazy. It is not because you're weak. If you need to rest, it is okay. 
resting does not mean you're lazy and our value is not in our production. And I know that during perimenopause in these last two years, I've made rest like my serious hobby and I do so many things laying down and I've said no to so many invitations because I just want to rest. I want to stay home. I want to relax. I want to watch Netflix. I want to read a book. I want to curl up with my kitty because I'm exhausted all the time. But remember our magic word. Temporary. Ah, temporary. Our bodies are adjusting and they will adjust and they will find their new normal. But having said that, if you are experiencing a new level of fatigue, Definitely talk to your doctor. They might encourage you to get your hormone levels checked. Or fatigue can always indicate a bigger problem in the body, problems with thyroid or something different. So, of course, get it checked with your doctor. But at the same time, don't judge yourself. Don't push yourself too hard. Don't say, oh, I used to be able to do this. Why can't I still have the same rhythm that I had before? I have to keep up with the old me. We're transitioning into the bloodless butterfly. And we're going to become a new us. And that is a hard transition, but we're all going to make it. And something during this time, it's just so important to have that compassion with ourselves and that kindness with ourselves because our body is changing. And seeing your body change is awful. Like my body is changing during perimenopause. My face is bloated and swollen because of the mast cell. I'm not sleeping. My eye circles are really big. I'm hungry all the time. I'm cranky. Like, it's really, really hard. And that kindness to ourselves will go a long way, much, much farther than self-criticism and judgment. So we're going to end here after our talk about the main symptoms. And we're going to talk more about hormone replacement therapy in the next episode. So the topic's not done. Just this one subset of the topic. Just this long-winded talk of all the changes (laughs) that can happen in our body. (laughs) So this content is going to bleed over into the next episode. (laughs) Tell me you get it. Did you you see what Brittany did? (laughs) I'm going to bleed over out of my underwear right now. I'm going to bleed over into this box. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to talk more about this topic and specifically hormone replacement therapy in the next episode. But we hope that you learned something from this episode about the changes surrounding perimenopause and menopause. We just hope that it's helped you understand that these changes are natural. I mean, they're unfortunate and they're unwanted, but they're natural. They're temporary. Mm -hmm. And have a little more background and feel a little more empowered that while our body is changing, there are things that we can do to support our body, be it hormone replacement therapy, be it supplements, be it diet changes. And we really, really recommend that you check out the resources that we linked in our website in 16years.com. There is hope. It is not hopeless. And this perimenopausal cocoon will one day end. And the beautiful bloodless butterfly will come out and flap its wings and go... I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> We're free in menopause. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. We're on the website in 16years.com and we are on Instagram at in 16 years of Endel. All right. Bleed you next time. <laughs> Good try. <laughs> Good try. <laughs> <laughs>